peaceful change, an initiative by the Grenpec uh, network. And today we have uh, world-renowned uh, scholar and author Steven Pinker from Harvard University. Uh, he is visiting Montreal uh, uh, in regard to his new book um, and um, uh, titled Enlightenment Now. He's the author of the very successful book called Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. So thank you, Steve, for coming and meeting us. And uh, it's wonderful to have you here. I want to start by asking, I mean, mentioning that I'm very impressed with your book. The, the first one in particular I mentioned, and the second one I read, uh, and I must say that I was impressed with the breadth, the depth, and the amount of research in multiple fields uh, that you have undertaken, it is breathtaking. Oh, thank and you. congratulations. Thank you very much. But how are these themes connected? The first book is, of course, you mentioned briefly enlightenment. The second book, you go in more detail. Could you briefly tell what your core arguments and how they are connected? Yes. The uh, well, for me, it's a, an unusual trajectory mm -hmm. among people who write about the subject yeah. matter of international yeah. studies, because I'm a cognitive yeah. psychologist. Yeah. Uh, I uh, don't have a background in political science. Right. I came to it from an interest in human nature. Yes. I had written a book called The Blank Slate uh -huh. on uh, why uh, people deny the existence of human nature, why the blank slate is such a, an appealing yes. doctrine, despite the fact that uh, I believe scientific evidence shows we're not blank slates. And one of the reasons is emotional and political, mm -hmm. that people are afraid that if evolution gave the human brain uh, aggressive motives, mm -hmm. dominance, revenge, prestige, then that means that we are doomed to war forever. It's hopeless to try to reduce war. It's in our genes. It's in our evolutionary uh, background. And when I wrote The Blank Slate uh, 17 years ago, I put it just as a, in a couple of paragraphs. Well, that, that actually doesn't follow, because the uh, human nature is complex. It's brain, brain's a big place. Lots of stuff going on in there. So yes, there are desires for glory and dominance and expansion and um, even sadism, mm -hmm. but we also have uh, empathy, we also have uh, uh, social norms and moral norms, we also we're cognitive creatures, we have these big brains that figure out how to solve problems, we have language, we can negotiate, we can share the results of our uh, discoveries. And so uh, even if there is such a thing as human nature, which I argue there is, it doesn't mean that we are doomed to war forever because we can treat war as a problem to be solved. Uh, human nature is malleable. In human nature, well, human nature has, not even so much that it's malleable, but that it's complex. It yes. has many parts. Yes. The reason that I chose as the title of uh, my, my book on violence, The Better Angels of Our Nature, mm. taken from Abraham Lincoln, mm. is that it captures the idea that there are many parts to human nature, yes. and we can use some parts to defeat others. Yes. So that, it, so it was that idea combined with my stumbling across uh, graphs showing that some kinds of violence had come down over the course of history. True. So that just proves that we're not doomed to a fixed amount yes. of violence, because history tells us that that isn't true. true. Yeah. And when I, uh, so for, I talked about the fact that uh, homicide in Europe has fallen by a factor of about 35 since the Middle Ages. Mm. The fact I'd come across in, in uh, studying violence. Then I got correspondence from political scientists uh, saying, uh, 
you also could have mentioned the fact that uh, deaths in war have come down since the end of World War II. There's mm -hmm. the, 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 the so-called long peace. Yes. Uh, I was stunned when I saw these data from sent to me by uh, Andrew Mack from Science uh, University yes. Human Security Report Project, from John Mueller, from Joshua Goldstein, and others. And that's what inspired me to write write the book, The Better Angels of yes. Nature, because not only is it a key idea that yes. human nature doesn't doom us to war, but there are these facts that most people are ignorant of. Yes. I was ignorant of, and I thought the combination of this idea and these uh, data deserve to be better known. Yes. Then, after The Better Angels of Our Nature came out, I, I came across other uh, obscure but very important facts about uh, uh, humanity, such as other measures of human well-being showed improvement, that uh, rates of extreme poverty have come way down, liter rates of literacy have gone up, rates of uh, child mortality, maternal mortality, infectious disease, uh, all of them have shown uh, improvement, and uh, no one knew about it. So it was, again, a set of facts from different disciplines, academic disciplines, that were not known to the newspaper reading public. Yes. And again, I wanted an idea to uh, explain it, because improvement doesn't happen by itself. Yes. Uh, if anything, the universe um, is indifferent to us, and things will go from get worse uh, if they're left to their own devices. And I, I thought that the idea, one of the ideas that uh, propelled the decline of violence, namely that if we use knowledge to try to solve problems, and if those problems concern human well-being, then every uh, bit by bit we can succeed. Yes. Uh, that I take it to be the ideals of the Enlightenment, mm -hmm. and that gave me the overall theme of Enlightenment yes. now, the idea behind all the graphs. So that's where I would, I mean, I think it's fascinating to look at the Enlightenment. But one can make an argument that other civilizations have also ways of dealing with violence, the Indian civilization, yes. Chinese civilization. And they would argue that it is not necessarily enlightenment, but their civilizational values, maybe religious, maybe uh, cultural, you know, that are important as much as European enlightenment. And so that's a dimension that uh, perhaps uh, we need more attention, given that the world is becoming more globalized, and that the next uh, round of uh, emergence of uh, new powers, China and India, are definitely going to be there. So that's a, that's the fear that uh, what if those countries, for instance, China in particular, doesn't value these core enlightenment uh, ideas such as freedom of expression, freedom of democracy, etc. How do we interconnect these civilizational mm. values with the Western values? Yes. Is that going to be a clash of civilization, or is it going to be Thucydides trap, or how do we avoid that kind of rise and decline of new civilizations, material powers, and theirs, etc. Yes, talk about it. All excellent questions. So yeah, I, I, I um, often have to make it clear that when I talk about uh, enlightenment, well, the title of the book, Enlightenment Now, yeah. I, it wasn't to uh, to uh, valorize a bunch of guys in 18th century yeah, Scotland and uh, France and Germany and, and uh, the British colonies. Uh, I needed a name for this set of ideas. Sure. Uh, and uh, there was a concentration of expression of these ideas in that time and place. But it certainly is not, let's go back to these, these saints, these geniuses, and, and, and worship them and uh, uh, soak in their wisdom. Mm -hmm. In fact, they themselves would have been the 
first to disavow that. Because what matters is the ideas, not the people, not the time, not the place. And if the ideas are good, they should really be good uh, everywhere for uh, all human beings. Uh, and indeed, uh, the Enlightenment ideals, as opposed to the European Enlightenment, can come and have come from many sources. sources. Uh, Enlightenment thinkers themselves were influenced from ideas brought back from uh, other parts of the world by explorers yes. and traders and networks of people uh, in conversation. Uh, part of Buddhism, for instance, amazing that peacefully happened, you know? Yes. Uh, and, um, and in the 20th century, some key ideas of what, of, uh, what we could call Enlightenment values came from, uh, from, from India, such as the, the whole concept of nonviolent resistance yes. from Gandhi, which of course influenced Martin Luther King. Well, yeah, you mentioned that in the book. The women's movement and the gay rights movement. Uh, the idea from South, in South Africa of uh, Ubuntu, of yes. restorative justice and uh, reconciliation, mm -hmm. that has been added to the mix. An interesting um, generator of Enlightenment ideals is cosmopolitanism. Yes. The mixing of ideas and people. No one, no civilization, and certainly no individual is smart enough to figure it all out yes. by themselves. It always depends on a flow of ideas, yes. picking and choosing the best ideas. Yes. Uh, now, the case of today of, of contemporary China is uh, is, is uh, complex because China, of course, in some ways, is uh, resisting the Enlightenment ideals of freedom of speech, democracy, while embracing others, like right. markets, free trade, yes. free trade and uh, yes. Yes. institutions, too. Yeah. And institutions? International uh, institutions. Whether there'll be a, uh, a Thucydides trap, yeah. uh, a, uh, you know, I don't know. But I, I, I don't think it's predestined. Uh, and China, for all its internal repression, for all its buildup of its military, it hasn't gotten involved in a lot of wars. In the yes, last actually, years. Western countries have fought more what? wars. Than Much worse. Yeah, wars. exactly. The United States has fought many wars. I think China, by the technical definition of war, has not fought a war since 1987. And even that, with that battle, that border skirmish with Vietnam, was pretty small. Yeah. Um, but there are internal battles they're doing in Xinjiang. Well, Tibetans and Uyghurs. Yes. So that actually brings me to the problem of liberalism. Liberalism is uh, the core of you know what enlightenment gave us to some extent. The so-called decline of liberal values, liberal internationalism, and the tendency among Western countries themselves to abandon some of these core principles as happening in the United States today. Some argue that uh, liberals uh, don't have good leaders. They don't have good enlightenment thinkers, <laughs> you know, and they are sort of leaving it to the populist. They are. They are not learning from their mistakes. For instance, the liberals of the past, like Roosevelt, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of welfare state, you know, they, they compensated for the problems of capitalism and weaknesses with these social democratic ideas. But they missed out today. They don't understand the problem of this 30% of the population that is not uh, so well. So what is uh, the problem with liberalism? How do we uh, save liberalism? Because everybody knows liberalism is needed. How do we save it from these onslaughts coming from liberals themselves? Yes. Uh, or liberal states themselves? Yes. Well, the populist rise within liberal states is often driven by a, a large and vocal minority. Mm -hmm. Even in the United States, Hillary Clinton won a majority of the, or at least the plurality of the popular vote in 2016. Yes. And electoral systems that 
overweight rural areas mm -hmm. will tend to give more power to populists than they actually possess in the population. Uh, and uh, there will be some, uh, I think, significant pushback against populism from certain ongoing trends. Um, urbanization, since populism is very much a rural phenomenon. Education, since it's the less educated who are more supportive of populism. And generational turnover, populism, support for populism falls off a cliff with each generation. Mm -hmm. And so honestly, uh, the, the World War II generation and the uh, baby boomers die off and are replaced by the Gen X's and the millennials. There'll be some natural recession of, uh, mm -hmm. of populism. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, you are absolutely right that the uh, open society, liberal, secular Democrats have not done a good enough job at either reforming the, the, the system uh, or in making their case. Defending. Yeah. Uh, defending mm -hmm. it. They've uh, allowed the uh, right wing populists, the left wing socialists to have passionate agendas yes. and have not, they, you're right, there are very few people who are standing up and saying, well, you know, liberal democracy for all its flaws is a pretty good system. <laughs> and the rules-based international order yes. for all its flaws is better than what we had before. Yes. An example is the intervention we watched the liberals have fought in the past decades or so. There are a lot of people who question those wars. The tendency like to in, in, yeah, Iraq, Syria, Libya, whatever, Syria partly intervene and then leave it to this mess and then try yeah. There's no exit strategy. There's no reformation of these places. So you have all this messiness in the international regional orders. And I think the liberals have to think about the need for coordinated efforts, but not military solution to problems that are more social reconstruction. You know, that, that, that's a bit of a problem in the United States. I mean, even Obama you know, complains that he was forced into Libya by the Europeans. But the Europeans are the same, and they have this human rights idea, which everybody agrees, but is force and coercion the way to go, or are other mechanisms, peaceful mechanisms? No, I think that that's exactly the right question. It's clear that the military interventions were, were disasters. I don't think anyone, very few people would defend them, especially now. Right. Uh, I don't, and whether you call them liberal or not, I mean, George W. Bush wasn't exactly a liberal. He was using liberal ideas. But he was using liberal ideas, the spread of democracy, <laughs> yes. the democratic peace. Uh, it was, you know, now we especially see it was a harebrained idea. Yes. Uh, and Libya, uh, I mean, again, was too hasty. I think there was too much of a, a people were reacting to uh, Gaddafi's sons talking about a river of, rivers of blood. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Decapitating a regime is, and leading uh, anarchy. Yes, I think failed state, more yeah. a failed, like creating an instant failed state yeah. is not a good yeah. idea. And I, I would bring in something that you probably don't mention much. is called structural violence. That due to these liberal interventions, um, Iraq, you know that uh, the sanctions, economic sanctions, are a form of structural violence. John Miller, our common friend, talks about this as um, carpet bombing by other means. 100,000 Iraqi children die in uh, lack of medicine, that's a carbon bombing type of activity, but slow, slow death. So these sort of structural violence, Johan Galtun talks about it, I think gives us a pause that the peaceful change that you have, the data, may be one type of peaceful change, but there is other forms of violence still going on. Partly due to liberal failures and of course failures of these other authoritarian models. Yes, and the, the, uh, the, the dilemma is that if trying to apply 
pressured for humanitarian ends mm -hmm. by non-military means, it is tempting to impose economic sanctions. Right. Uh, some, some, in some cases, that just uh, reduces people's standards of living, but in the Iraq case, it did led to uh, real uh, hardship and death. Uh, so uh, the international community needs levers of pressure that uh, do the minimal human damage. And, in that case, sanctions were uh, not the answer. Good. Um, one of the um, big questions is, if there is no fear of war, why the extraordinary speed with new weapons are invented, modernized nuclear weapons, for instance, Obama signed this $1 trillion modernization plan, won a Nobel Prize for nuclear abolition. So this well, he traded that, as I recall, for uh, uh, the military agreed to call and, the, and Congress going with New START. Yeah. So it was a, a kind of, a, I think he was kicking the can down the road, figuring yeah. New START yes, now yes. is worth signing off on a 30 year program that yeah. perhaps in the future yeah. other presidents will. So that's the, the technological back. momentums in the past led to the Germans adopting the Blitz 3, the tank and the aircraft. Technology allowing offensive doctrines, if you have an ideology to support that to engage in certain activities. So people worry about AI as well as outer space. Uh, we don't know who the next Hitler would be or the type of aggressive figure who may use it for advancing their goal. Of course, this is a conjecture too. But, but isn't there a danger of this technological momentum going out of track at this point in time in the future? Well, it's uh, too early to say that with the advance in weaponry, has come, at least since 1945, a huge reduction in uh, deaths from war. Yes. Uh, and certainly old-fashioned uh, military technology, mid-20th century aerial bombardment and artillery and tank battles kill people by the hundreds of thousands and, mil and uh, millions. So it's possible that precision uh, weaponry would lead to uh, far fewer deaths. More deterrence. Uh, more deterrence and less, that's a, a horrible euphemism, collateral, collateral damage. Uh, but better, best of all, would be to nip arms races in the bud and not have them in the first place. And certainly the trajectory that Trump and Putin are putting the world on, um, a new nuclear arms race, is uh, a, you know, a terrible idea. It should be going in the opposite direction, the direction of uh, even the Cold War hawks like Kissinger. You know, uh, George Shultz and, and, and yes. William Perry and uh, Sam Gunn. Uh, or the idea of, uh, as at least a, as a transition, switching to a deterrence only yeah. your policy. Limited. So, no 200 person. weapons are enough, they say, for deterrence. Yes, and that's, I mean, clearly that is the direction that we ought to go in. Yes. We're not going that way. No. But the, pre we, the partly it's uh, the, the press. Uh, it's irresponsible in not making that right. focus of political debate. Yes. In 2016, there was endless discussion of Hillary Clinton's email server. Yes. There was no discussion of nuclear stability. Uh, and likewise in the campaign coming up, there's we hear about uh, health insurance and student loans and police shootings. But the, uh, the, the biggest issue in the world, other than climate change, is nuclear stability. The social, social movements don't talk about much. Peace movements used to be stronger during the Cold War, but now everybody is backtracking. Yes, so, no, I, I agree. I, um, I was very intrigued by one uh, uh, conclusion you have in the new book, 
about uh, human, uh, humanities, political philosophers needing to learn more about science and principles of reason. And I agree mm. with you on that. But I have the opposite argument too, which is the technocrats and the scientists and the doctors um, tend to be not learning from social science. And there is a danger of or, or liberal arts, enlightenment in particular. And if you look at many countries, the biggest supporters of fundamentalism, religious fundamentalism, even terrorism, are the scientifically oriented individuals. And I, I think which is a big puzzle because they, they say there's a binary view. They get the very brilliant people, but they also are very prone to these uh, ideas. I mean, I know in India I come from, this is happening. So uh, nationalism in particular, they get attracted, religious nationalists. Uh, what explains that? I mean, don't you think it is necessary that we include enlightenment ideas, liberal ideas, liberal arts education, compulsory education, global education to the so-called uh, uh, technocratic class education as well. Yeah. Uh, oh yes, uh, I mean, it depends on the, well, the liberal arts and uh, uh, humanities education because a lot of humanities departments in Western universities have been taken over by postmodernism, which is a counter enlightenment philosophy and opposed to reason and science and evidence and progress. Uh, but if it is greater awareness of history of ideas and, and the history in general, then uh, I think that is essential. I mean, on average, according to the World Value Survey, which has uh, studied um, uh, some many countries over 40 years, in general, greater education, greater openness to ideas is correlated with more liberal values. Uh, but there is this argument that um, if people are not taught these values in college classes, universities, then they need not become and become liberal in their later life. The second thing is critical theorists. I'm not a critical theorist, but they would defend by arguing that if they didn't criticize these existing models, nobody would make any change. You know, I mean, they are the source of criticisms, whether you agree with them or not, of some of these existing practices. So, even enlightenment thinkers are critical thinkers, no? So critical, well, critical thinkers. Uh, I don't know if you mean critical theory. Yeah, critical theorists. Capital C, yeah. capital T, that's the Frankfurt School, or yeah, Adorno, kind of, yes. or Horkheimer, or do you just mean skepticism, criticism, debate? Yes. Certainly the latter is absolutely indispensable. Yeah. Uh, it's debatable how much constructive influence the, 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 the Frankfurt School of critical theory itself uh, has, uh, has uh, wielded. But certainly, Criticism in the sense of being skeptical of ideas, debating them, not accepting anything from authority is absolutely essential. Mm -hmm. So let me conclude by saying what are you working on now and any plans for advancing this into a more global, uh, beyond the West, you know, sort of thinking at this point? Or you well, uh, you know, as I say, it's absolutely essential that it, that it be global just because these ideas are not, all ideas have to come from somewhere. Sure. Some of these ideas came from the West, but that doesn't, make them Western ideas, if yes. they're good ideas or, or, or bad ideas. Uh, for my own work, I've done, been doing research on uh, uh, phenomenon of common knowledge in the game theorist sense of I know something, you know something, I know that you know it, you know that I know it, I know that you know that I know that you know it, ad infinitum. Mm -hmm. And how I believe this plays a, a huge role in human social life, uh -huh. that it underlies phenomena of politeness, of hypocrisy, of uh, civility, of uh, 
genteel coexistence, of taboo, of outrage. Uh, and so there are a, a large number of social and political and economic phenomena that depend on the difference between knowing something and knowing that everyone else knows it. So I'm going to have a book uh, in three years called Don't Go There. We hope to see you again on that book. And uh, with that note, thank you, Professor Pinker. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much.